Hello and welcome to What's It Coming on what has been a very dramatic week, not just because of the quite disturbing and um, quite frankly grim news this week, but also because what a morning we have had. I am recording this at what is now 10.45 on Friday morning, which is late already for the podcast this week, but it's 45 minutes later than we were meant to be recording. Uh, I'm now going to introduce my co-hosts because there's two of them this week. Um, first of all, Jude, introduce yourself, and then Rishi, come in and explain why we're late. I'm Jude, and I'm on time today, unlike some people. <laughs> uh, my name's Rishi. Uh, me and Tom have a great history of co-hosting, but I believe this may, this may be the latest I've ever been for an episode. You know, the early morning, it took it out of me. Um, 10, 10, 10, 45, wake early up morning. You mean early, early morning, morning or late night? Come on, Tom. Let's... There's a reason we did LSR home time and not breakfast last yeah. year. <laughs> but anyway, it's good to be here. Yeah, me and Rishi are long-time co-hosts, and yeah, this isn't the first time you've been almost late. Or in, well, we did a live show once from a pub, and he turned up one minute after we started. But I think you have surpassed yourself here. Anyway, Tom, let's not waste any more time. Yeah, yeah? This, the, this is going to be a bumper wasters. episode of What's Occurring. So <laughs> as you know, we wrap up the week's news and sport. And this week, there has been a lot of news. And to be honest, it's not been nice. We, so we're going to talk about Afghanistan and the shooting that's happened in Plymouth. And then there's a bit of COVID news and then a few other little bits that we need to wrap up from last week as well. Then our guest this week is Steve Crossman, the broadcaster and football presenter from Five Live, who has come on and in, it's quite strange really he has a lot of connections to me in a way that is almost quite freaky so we we talk about that as well as the Premier League and some guys called Harry Kane and Jack Grealish I don't know if you've heard of him but that is all to come here on this week's bumper edition of What's Occurring now uh, we'll start with Afghanistan and what has happened in since we last had an episode of what's occurring a week and a half ago has been there's been a massive 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 escalation basically u.s troops were meant to be withdrawing from the country by uh, september 11th that was trump and then biden's plan but they've withdrawn quicker but although there were still some left but basically the taliban the militant group have taken over the entire country already. They took over last Sunday, and already there's seeing huge, huge amounts of refugees, thousands of people trying to flee, people hanging off aircraft, which is frankly sickening, and uh, uh, basically quite a lot of panic across the country and across the world. Uh, I think it's fair to say there are people questioning America's power, Britain's power, and just generally what we can do anymore. It is really is a dark, dark moment for the world this week, Jude. Yeah, um, you know, the pictures we've seen this week are absolutely horrible, um, especially all the um, people trying to escape the country because um, they're, they're pretty hopeless at this time. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a rapid increase with the um, rise of the Taliban. Um, within a month, it's gone from 30% to obviously now taking over the country as a whole. So it's quite scary. Yeah, there's this, there's been so many failures, like on the part of our government, well, which we'll come on to, but also th there must have been a massive, massive intelligence failure because nobody expected the Taliban to surge forward this quickly. 
uh, a failure of human rights, uh, you know, this the failure to properly look after these refugees. I think, Rishi, what's been what's shocked you the most this week? Has it been those images of people in the airport or something else? I mean, yeah, that image in the airport, the one that went viral of, of the couple thousand people crammed into the plane, is obviously terrifying. But I think what shocked me the most is how out of nowhere um, this came. Um, I mean, you could argue either way that you could see it coming or that it was really um, a spur of the moment kind of thing when Biden, when Biden tried to, when Biden um, knew he was going to withdraw troops. But the Taliban, for me, since, since Bin Laden died, I hadn't really heard anything about them. They've, they've kind of disappeared um, or so for about 10 years at least and suddenly out of nowhere to come and take over a whole country that quickly. It's quite terrifying what, what a group like that can do. And if they've done one country in, what, 20 days, you yeah. dread to think, um, dare I say, what, what, what more they could do with that power. Well, this is the thing that really enrages me, is Joe Biden. He, he spent the last few months going around saying, America is back, we're going to be a leader on the world stage again. He said, pulled all these troops out of Afghanistan, bearing in mind that on, uh, in terms of on-the-ground troops and on-the-ground fighting, there has not been much for the last four or five years. There's been a minimal number of troops just kind of keeping the Taliban at bay, but by no means a big military operation. And very, very few deaths. He's pulled out those that small number of troops, taken them home in a shoddy, badly organised way. There's meant the Taliban have just come straight back in. There's been chaos. Uh, nobody's been looked after. And people will take advantage of that it's damaged his image it's damaged america's image and you if you think people like russia and china are not going to take advantage of such a big muck up by the by the us then i think people are very very mistaken and i think there's a lot of uncertainty about what's going to happen now and what could what could happen in the future what do you think Yeah, definitely. I mean, the future from now from now on, I guess the the thing as like a pub, member of the public, I see, um, is to see, I guess, what Afghanistan and Kabul is going to be like now. Is it going to be like um, what when it what it was back in when the when the Taliban had power um, the first time, or are they going to be a bit a bit? Is it going to be a bit different? Um, perhaps a less like authoritarian. Um, I mean, they've already spoken out on women's rights and what they plan to do with them, the Taliban, that is. They've, they've said they will give women rights within Islamic law, um, which for them to even make a statement on that sort of thing is quite a, quite a different, quite a different um, I guess, stance than what they had in the past because it, a lot of people, when they took over, um, just assumed that, um, unfortunately, women's schooling, university, everything would just sadly be thrown out the window again by the Taliban. We'll have to like see a gauge what kind of society um, Kabul will now be like. Yeah, I think the government said this week they're not going to judge the Taliban by their words, which I have to say have been quite progressive and they've held press conferences saying, yeah, we've changed, things aren't going to be as they are. And definitely they've, you know, there's been these videos of them going to fun fairs and being in the gym and 
they are definitely trying to convey a message of being different and having changed but i think their actions really speak for themselves i mean this morning it's come out that they've killed a family member of a german journalist uh and there's reports from the the un have said that the taliban are stepping up their hunt for people who collaborated with nato and so basically the us the uk france and um during the military operation so i don't think they're going to let this lie i think whilst they're making the right noises in practice i would really like to see i'd like to see um what they're going to do because i don't think i believe it um then i want to move on and talk a bit about the uk's response actually because i think this has been quite interesting as well um boris johnson in parliament on wednesday he recalled parliament for the summer the first time that's happened since the syrian crisis a few years ago so serious event um announced his plans for afghanistan and said that he uh, he is um, the country's going to take in 20,000 refugees well without swearing and going absolutely ballistic i think that is pathetic i don't know how a country which has been so involved in in a crisis like this and who has been in, who's intervened for so long can just abandon it Although, admittedly, it was the US's decision to, to pull out, so we didn't really have a choice, but they've abandoned the Afghani people, and now they're going to take in 20,000. And of those 20,000, only 5,000 are going to be here by the end of the year. They've evacuated 2,000 so far. Jude, I mean, what do you think? Is it just me who thinks this is crazy? Well, yeah, compared to, think about how, how big 20,000 people actually is, it's not a lot. Um, especially for the size of our country as well, we could take a lot more people in. Um, but yeah, like you said, we've just abandoned the people. Um, we've gone over there to help them out and then we don't actually end up giving them the support they need by taking them in when the need is. Yep. It was, it, it, it's not good enough, frankly. I think, and to be honest, I think what will happen is, because this is what happened with the Syrian crisis or those, all those years ago, is that those refugees will not come to the UK legally. So, yes, some will come. But if they think that the other 15,000 they claim to want to take after this year, or even people who aren't eligible to travel to the UK, who still don't want to be there and who still want freedom, if they think they're just going to stay in Afghanistan and put up with it, they're, they're very wrong. Like, they, these people are going to come over on boats and inflatable dinghies and whatever else and either end up dying at sea or end up in Calais again waiting to cross the border there was th this time next summer we'll be back on what's occurring doing this and I can guarantee you there will be a massive refugee crisis what do you think Rishi yeah um, sadly I have to agree with you um I think I think we've we could have we could have prepared for this um in the in the long term with we've had refugee crises before um Perhaps not to this, um, you know, in, in, my, in, my, in our time anyway, not to this extent with how maybe how rapid everything was done um, and how quickly everything changed. But even with, even with the, the, Brit, the, British, the British people in Afghanistan at the minute and the, um, the Afghan translators and interpreters, um, Dominic Raab um, absolved himself of all responsibility and just didn't bother to make some phone calls, I'm pretty sure. Um, yep. and just left it to some 
um, inferior ministers and didn't really treat it as a proper job. And I just think that shows, as well as Joe Biden, like the UK just aren't really, they're, they're really not taking this seriously and morally um, enough because to just leave leave your people out there stranded and not even bother while we while we sit here in the comforts of the safe UK and US. Um, it's just shows terrible leadership, I think. And considering Dominic Raab is our foreign secretary, um, it's just shocking, really. So I can't, I also can't really understand how Biden saying 20,000, he's trying to spin it into a positive thing. Look, this crisis is really at a low point. Just for your own integrity, take the hit, explain what you've done wrong, admit it to the people and then try to act on it. Don't come up with some half-hearted, quite lazy, quite under, underwhelming plan of action and then try and spin it into a positive thing. Like, people aren't stupid. Well, that's Boris Johnson for you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, I'm fuming. This whole, this whole thing about like, that you mentioned about the Foreign Secretary, he was on holiday in Crete, and several witnesses have said he basically sat on a beach all day, Friday and Saturday, even though it was quite clear... The Taliban were making huge advances and Kabul was going to fall. And, yeah, he was asked to make a call to the Afghani foreign secretary about evacuating translators who'd helped the British army. And he refused to do it and delegated it to a foreign minister who was on duty. So one of his, his staff, effectively. But they didn't even make the call. And then we find out last night that the permanent secretary, so that's the civil servants in charge of the Home Office, the Foreign Office and the Ministry of Defence were all on holiday at the same time too, as well as the Prime Minister and Dominic Raab, who is not only Foreign Secretary but the Prime Minister's Deputy. So the Prime Minister, his Deputy and the heads of the three departments, which were, you know, all involved heavily in this, were all on holiday. Well, what do they expect to happen? It's shoddy response, shoddy, shoddy, shoddy. We're not prepared and frankly they need to up their game very quickly and very fast otherwise people are, thousands of people are going to die. And I think... oh, oh. <laughs> Right. Um, the final part about um, Afghanistan I want to talk about is the veterans of Afghanistan. And I don't know, did either of you catch any of the debate from Parliament or see any of the videos from it at all? That would be a no. <laughs> no. Um, I've seen a lot of tweets from uh, veterans, like sort of um, explaining their anger towards the government and um, how uh, they've been forgotten about. Um, not only people that have served in Afghanistan, but veterans from all services have sort of said how poorly our government are when it comes to, um, you know, admiring our veterans, but we just don't do it in this country enough. Um, it's it's disgusting. Yeah, I think it's been those veterans who've been in Afghanistan really do just think, what's it all been for, Rishi? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's coming up to what twenty years for some for some people. Um, you know, people soldiers separated from their families. Um, I mean, for it to just all come crumbling down so fast must be absolutely heartbreaking. And I think there's already enough. There's already enough. Um, enough issues with the and um with the system and the i guess the the mental effects of you know being a soldier and um 
in whatever context. And I think this whole Afghanistan ordeal will will really, you know, take a toll um, mentally on the whole the whole armed service, and it will extend to those not in Afghanistan because they'll see that what their comrades have had to be, go through, and and how it's just all ended so terribly and through absolutely no fault of their own really it's all for it's all down to the leadership above them Mm, quite right um we're going to move on from that now onto the other big story of the week uh plymouth and the shooting that happened there so uh, basically some well i think the only word she uses some nutter uh with serious mental health problems uh was in Keyham in Plymouth, an area in of Plymouth, and went out and killed five people, including a three-year-old and his mum. <laughs> I mean, there's no words really, are there? It's just, it's just one of those horrendous, horrendous things. And I think it's brought to the fore some quite important issues, actually. And the first of those that I want to talk about is incel culture and... Uh, for those who don't know, that incel culture is about being an involuntary celibate. And there's this whole online yeah, culture forum of men who just basically don't know how to control themselves. And I think, do, is this an issue that needs to be taken more seriously, Jude? 100%. You know, a lot of people don't know. Um, well, still, mental health as a whole is, is still quite... Um, a topic that's not really spoken about enough still. Um, and obviously, like, incel culture is still... A lot of people don't know what it is. Um, and these people that are getting hold of these weapons, and it's just it's just crazy how it's still allowed to happen. Yeah, I think this whole online... This lack of monitoring, whatever you want to call it, the the whole culture of these online communities that are allowed to just say what they want and i think to be honest they probably hype each other up a lot i mean i'm not part of them i I don't know but from what you read there's certainly some kind of confirmation bias there Uh, rishi what can we do about it though what what can be done to try and combat this it's a it's a million dollar question um i mean the these the good thing is i guess these these incidents they are relatively still quite isolated um i mean i don't think we've seen a dramatic pickup correct me if i'm wrong um in recent times um i mean i feel they used to be they they're they're still quite they're still quite rare and still quite shocking when they do happen which suggests that still there's no there's no absolutely no general level of like normalizing them so it's just figuring out how we can how we can i guess manage manage how people get to that how people get to that point you know by tapping i guess like all these all these forums and things um that you're talking about which is quite a new it's quite a new thing for me that i'm hearing um i'm the online the online world is so it's so crazy and so hidden away that i guess it's really it's really gonna have to be some sort of top down um kind of i guess almost maybe a committee or like a a body of people that could really put their put their work specifically need some strong regulation yeah yeah uh the other issue that's come out of this is about gun licensing and mental health because this man 
clearly had i'm not i'm not mentioning his name uh he clearly had serious mental health problems and yeah part of that was this gun was um, the fact that he, despite these mental health problems he was still able to get a, a license for this shotgun that he bought last year which he's then gone on to use in this attack uh, is this something again that needs monitoring more closely how can we how can we tackle it jude um i think there needs to be a set list of who can actually um get hands on a gun and who like sort of um can apply for a gun license or sort of a list of people that can actually have one um, well there there is that to an extent to have one. But, but clearly he's either slipped for a gap or they didn't think he qualified i just think it needs to be more closely monitored, doesn't it? Yeah, and also the people it should do mental health checks on people that are trying to buy them, do tests on the people that are obviously buying them as well, and sort of just see if they're okay to have a gun and the right for everyone yeah. to have one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, um, I was in Plymouth on Monday, which was, you know, a few days after the attack, and... Um, well, I was there to get my vaccine, but we'll talk about that later. But um, whilst I was there, I was at the football stadium and there was a minute's silence. And to be honest, I was expecting it to be quite low-key and quite, you know, not, not to really notice it in a way. But no, it's really quite a moment. There was, you know, probably hundreds of people there waiting for their vaccine and literally silence and a real unity, I would have said. Like no one was on their phones, no one was doing it because they had to. It really was was quite a moment so I, th I think if if anything there has been you know at least some positives for Plymouth out of this which is which is a good thing um we're going to move on to some slightly better news now because so far it has been very very dingly <laughs> but um no, this week uh, in Covid news which normally is doom and gloom we have a positive and that is that you no longer have to isolate when you have Covid if you've been double vaxxed so this really for me um couldn't have come at a better time because i had my second vaccination on monday and then literally kid you not monday evening my brother tests positive for covid and so <laughs> to, um massive timing me does not have to isolate what well, well on tom I, I have to say, even for me, I think that is quite impressive. Like, timing it, what, six hours, six hours late. But um, what do you think of this policy? Because I think for me, I wasn't sure at first, but having lived it, if you like, if, you know, having been there and done it, I've found that it's actually quite a practical policy. So me, my parents, me and my parents have all been double vaxxed i've also had covid recently so you know we have good levels of immunity we're all fit and well we've been regularly testing ourselves uh, my brother stayed in his room out the way and so we've all been able to go to work and carry on with normal life and i probably would have been against this policy a week ago but i have to say i think <laughs> it, it works very well and not just because it's benefited me but because genuinely people who are negative for covid can just continue what are we saying? I wholeheartedly agree with you, Tom. I was a great fan of this policy when it came in um, because 
the the issue with reopening that happened a little bit, but not as much, I think, as some people over anticipated, is that we people will just get told to isolate and get. I think they called it the pandemic briefly when um when people who were like supposedly in close contact were just told to isolate when realistically nine times out of ten there was probably no reason for it. Um, and it just slows things down. It stops, starts the economy, people's lives. Um, the classic example right now is so many bands will head out on a tour and just one member of the touring party will test positive. Um, whether that, that might not even be someone in the band, it might be a crew member, it might be um, a tour manager. And if everyone else tests negative and is double vaxxed, they can then carry on with the tour. They don't yeah. have to scrap everything and cause lots of chaos and I think it just makes living with COVID so much more manageable and it's one of the reasons why I think as more and more people get double vaxxed I believe it's about 75% now um, we won't ever have to hopefully go back to any form of restrictions. Yeah. yeah the other one that I think the bigger example of that whole being closed down was I think Andrew Lloyd Webber's production of Cinderella which was due to start a couple of weeks ago the night before it was meant to start one person tested positive and the whole thing got shut down until this week which when it has finally reopened but yeah do, do you think we'll see a rise in rising cases because of this um not necessarily um because I know a lot of people are double vaxxed now and uh, with a lot more younger people getting vaccinated now as well um I don't really think it's been it's gone quite a low down on the cases at the moment. Not really heard much in the news, so I don't think it'll be a massive um, increase. Um, just also depends if people go on holiday a lot more now. That might be the only thing that could spike it, but I can't really see it rising that much. Yeah, I think we're we're, we're coming out the other side, which I can't believe I'm saying, but there we are. The uh, right, we will leave the news there. Only there is only other one one thing I want to say, and that is that. Last week, we found out that Prince Andrew is facing a civil case, not a criminal case, in the USA for, um, I think it's sexual harassment of mm. of a woman when who was underage. Well, surprise, surprise. <laughs> but um, we haven't got time to talk about it, but I look forward to that and I will be getting my popcorn out. <laughs> um Right, now, it's time for our big guest. This week, it is Steve Crossman, the sports broadcaster from Five Live, who I had a chat with about, uh, well, it was mainly about the Premier League, but we started by talking about his very, very strange connections to me. Steve Crossman, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Can I just say, it is an absolute pleasure to be back on Lead Student Radio, because it is where I did my first ever radio so that's pretty <laughs> cool well me too and <laughs> we were ju- we were just talking before we started recording and you have confused me in a very strange way t- t- tell tell everyone what you've just told me <laughs> so um th- there is you are not the only tom horn in my life tom horn <laughs> So when you um, messaged me to ask about coming on and having a chat, one of my uh, classmates from my broadcast journalism degree course at Leeds Uni, who also did LSR with me, his name is Tom Horn. So when you messaged me, I was like, has Tom gone back to Leeds University? 
And then I saw your profile picture and I was like, ah, cool. You're not someone in your mid thirties who now works in PR. <laughs> that is brilliant. I, I've never met another Tom Horn. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to find this man. And you're going to you're have to track him down. There's two of you out there at least. Yeah, that is brilliant. Uh, just on that then, how do you go from LSR to now you're at the BBC? Um, yeah, I mean, it's been a long old journey. Um, so lead, lead student radio was sick for me. Like it did so much for me. I mean, I was doing this degree in broadcast journalism, so I already knew this is kind of what I wanted to do anyway, but, um, LSR just like, you know, it was my first experience of presenting radio shows. And actually I always wanted to be a football commentator. That was like my big, big thing. And I was lucky enough that after uni, uh, one of my lecturers um, happened to have like good contacts and he got me like hooked up with doing like a radio commentary for like a little commercial radio station in Swansea. So that's how it started out. But I've now ended up being a presenter, which I wasn't really expecting. I always thought I'd be a commentator. But the reality is in this industry, especially when you're starting out, you've got to be able to do everything. You know, you need to be able to do news and sport. You need to be able to... Uh, do a bit of presenting or a bit of news reading, a bit of commentary. You know, there are so many things out there and so many cool things to try that I just tried to do a bit of anything. But um, yeah, so commercial radio football commentary, which led to BBC local radio football commentary. And then I started doing some presenting there. That was at, at BBC Radio Sheffield. Um, and then the BBC, that was the time when the BBC moved north, BBC Sport moved north, which for northerners is amazing. So I got some work there with the World Service and then just kind of worked for the World Service for a few years and, and travelled the world. And just being in the same building as Five Live is kind of got what got me noticed, um, what got me noticed by them. And here we are. Yeah. So you're now a sports presenter on Five Live. And yeah. as part of that, you cover the Premier League. So mm -hmm. how excited are you for it to return? Massively, which sounds ridiculous because there's just been no break from football for about two years. Um, but despite that, I am really excited. I'll tell you why I'm most excited. It's because over the course of a season, when you're talking about football nonstop, you do get to a stage where you're like, oh, what is left to be said about Manchester United? And you kind of like, you have to fight really hard to think about what's like a new interesting angle. What's something we haven't done. But when the season starts, it's all brand new. And it's just like an absolute toy box of talking points. Like there's so many different things you could talk about in so many different ways. It's all so brand new and the weather doesn't get rubbish for at least three to four weeks. <laughs> so yeah, it's great. It's a great, it's brilliant. The start of any new season is great just because it's, there's just so much stuff to get into. And, um, you know, you just kind of feel like a bit of a kid at Christmas as, as much of a cliche as that is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of big moves, which we'll come on to later, but I do want to just briefly talk about COVID and the whole mm. fan situation. So obviously f stadiums can now be full. All the fans will be back. Is that going to have a big difference on a certain team's performance or anything like that? Massive difference. Yeah. I mean, for a start, I think like the, the newly promoted clubs need the fans more than almost anybody else because, you know, they do have that ability just to kind of really roar you back into a game when you're struggling but I think everybody knows that. I think actually some of the top clubs really need the fans back. I mean, the, the classic example is Liverpool. I just don't think Liverpool lose, what was it, six home games in a row with a full Anfield. I just don't think that happens. So I think it'll make a massive difference to a number of teams. Um, but the other thing is like, 
my big hope is that fans aren't taken for granted anymore by the football authority. So I, I did an interview the other day with the, um, the chief executive of the Premier League, Richard Masters, and we were kind of chatting about, you know, it's great fans back and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, the impact that the fans had on the, the European Super League, you know, being booted out of the agenda and all that kind of thing. But, you know, kickoff times are still all over the place still all over the place the premier league it's still the ticket price is still really expensive so you know i just hope that football has really realized how important fans are although i'm skeptical about that it often feels yeah. like the fans are the last people that people think about and hopefully you know that might be something that that changes now but you know full stadiums from a from a listening perspective and a viewing perspective it's just great news on on all counts yeah. You talk about the fans being maybe the last people that have thought about. Obviously, there's been some big money moves in in the Prem, this transfer window. Do you think it has all just become, um, obviously, football's all, all about money, but even more so recently, do you think just fans are disregarded and the roots of the game are maybe even being lost? Um, I mean, I think... <sighs> I, th- I think they've been disregarded for a while, to be honest with you. I don't think that's a new thing with COVID. I think it just it puts yeah. it back on the agenda because it's an opportunity to talk about it because they're coming back. I think, I think to be honest, that the football being about money shit probably sailed in 1992. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, I mean, it, yes, that is increasingly the case, but I, d- I don't necessarily think that's, you know, that's a new thing. And to be honest, you know, football's not just about the Premier League, of course. And I think, you know... <laughs> money is even more important to clubs lower down the pyramid now you know one of the great things about seeing fans coming back to me is that for so many clubs it might well represent the difference between you know oblivion and survival you know there are so many clubs who have struggled incredibly incredibly badly with without supporters and without the money that that comes in so yeah it it is more about money than ever before but I think it's actually more pertinent to the to the clubs who are welcoming back fans in the knowledge that they can be the ones that that save them. So it's more it's more at the very top level where I think fans don't necessarily well certainly don't get the um the consideration they deserve. Yeah. And so we'll talk about some of those changes in the Premier League now. So uh Grealish has moved for 100 million to Manchester City. Uh what impact is he going to have on their side, do you think? Yeah, it's difficult because you know, he he doesn't come into a part of the pitch where Manchester City have any problems. I mean, Manchester City don't have any problems apart from the <laughs> fact that they still haven't got a centre forward. So, you know, short of signing Harry Kane uh, or a Haaland or somebody like that, you know, there's it's quite difficult to improve them. I think I think he's just different. I think that's what it is. You know, I think you look at the the wide players that they've got, particularly, you know, Mares is different to Foden, is different to Sterling is different to Grealish. And I think that's one of those things is, you know, the few times a season when Manchester City, for whatever reason, can't break a team down. Sometimes what you need is, is something different. And I think there's also, there's also a lovely link up between Foden and Grealish, which obviously you won't see for a bit because Foden's going to miss the start of the season, probably the first month or so of the season. So you might not get back till after that first international break. But um, I think there is something you could see with England, there's something potentially special brewing there between those two. So I think I think he improves them because because it's just another option. But I'm quite surprised that he's the first one through the door. 
because not like there was competition for his signing. No one else can spend 100 million pounds on Jack Grealish. City, the only club who can do that right now. So I kind of expected they might get a striker first because I still think that's the area where they could be exploited. And the reason I say that is like they, they won the league at a canter last season without a striker. Mm-hmm. But had they needed one, you know, when he was fit, they could have turned to Aguero. And when we talk about options, whilst Grealish is different to all the other wide players, what they don't have is a, is a centre forward still. Yeah. And I just, I don't think, I don't like seeing Phil Foden as a false nine. I don't like seeing Mares as a false nine. I don't like seeing De Bruyne as a false nine. And if I was a City fan, I'd want an actual nine. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. the order that they've done it has surprised me a little bit. Um, and it was weird. I, I was picking my fantasy football team today. And I looked at it on yeah. paper and I was like, oh, I haven't got any Manchester City strikers. And I was like, oh, of course, that's because Manchester City don't have any strikers. <laughs> yeah. Do you think they'll sign Kane? Because obviously there's been a lot of talk about him moving away from Tottenham. I change my opinion on this every day. Um, <laughs> I think... Uh, I'm going to say... I mean, if you ask me this in an hour, I'd give you a different answer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say... I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. And that's, you know, that's that's opposite to what all the guys who are on the shows that I present um, have said. And the reason I say that is because it just feels to me like there is a direction of travel possibly away from it. Uh, it's so hard. I, I, it, if it wasn't Daniel Levy, I'd say yes, because, you know, yeah. player power is a thing. But the history tells us that unless you really really throw the toys out the pram you don't get your move from Tottenham Hotspur and I just think that players like Luka Modric took it to a level that Harry Kane won't take it to even even not turning up to training as big a move as that was hasn't had the effect that he wanted it to have so Mm. I don't think there's anything he can do beyond that to get the move like what else can he possibly do apart from go on strike and I just can't see him doing that so I'm going to say no this is when, like, in an hour's That's time, it's announced that the deal's gone through. It is, I know it's <laughs> controversial, which is why yeah. I'm so hesitant about it. But yeah, I just, I just have a feeling that he's going to be, he's going to be with Spurs come the start of the season, which is three days yeah. away. <laughs> <laughs> you feel so quite sorry for Harry Kane. I mean, we've all put all of our, pinned all of our hopes on him for the Euros. Everybody's behind him, and now he's kind of can't play the football he wants to, can't get the, the move he wants to because of a contractual dispute. No, <laughs> I don't feel sorry. I mean, we can't feel sorry for Harry Kane. You got. I mean, I know this is such a this is an obvious thing to say, but it's That's so difficult. Problem, feel, isn't it? But... It's such a. I mean, it's beyond that. It's whatever the stratosphere <laughs> above the first world is. It's their problem. I mean, look, you know, money doesn't buy you happiness. So I'm not going to go and oh, he's high paid footballers and all that nonsense. But it, you know, if he doesn't get his move to Manchester City, he still has an amazing career. He's still an amazing player. You know him not getting what he wants is would be a shame for him but I find it very difficult to feel sorry for him yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's not the end of his world if he doesn't get a move to Manchester City even if that's how it might feel to him at the moment <laughs> uh, the, the other big move that's been happening in football at the moment is obviously Messi who has gone from Barcelona to PSG is this the beginning of the end of the Spanish League hmm um, it's a difficult one that because they've because they've lost those two massive names. I, I'm going to say no, and the reason I say that is because 
I actually think there's a possibility of that league becoming more competitive and which I think would make it more interesting. You know, and any any league that loses Ronaldo and Messi over the course of two or three years is, is going to struggle. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And they were the big pulls for that league. But I just think that one, because of the financial situations being faced by Real and Barcelona, I could see it becoming a more exciting league. I mean, obviously not forgetting the fact that neither of them won the league last season anyway. <laughs> um, I, I could see it becoming, and like, I'll be honest, like when I was a kid, I loved the Spanish league and that was pre-Messi and Ronaldo. You know, I when I was young, I remember um, Deportivo winning the league with like Diego Tristan and Walter Pandiani up front. That was great entertainment. And you know, there's, there's something as entertaining about those two big clubs struggling as much as there is something entertaining about them being great. So I think that will play a big part in it. But also, shouldn't forget that whatever happens, Barcelona and Real Madrid remain Barcelona and Real Madrid. So, you know, if they can get their financial problems under control, which is going to take some time, they'll still be the big pull. You know, it doesn't matter who's there. You know, players are still going to want to go there. You know, everybody wants to play with Messi or Ronaldo, but you only need to look at you know what's happened to Real Madrid since Ronaldo left. You know, it's not like they've sort of shrunk into you know insignificance. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I think the Spanish league will be will come back around, but this is certainly a massive hammer blow to them and to Barcelona. But I think long term it'll probably bounce back. It'll certainly be more competitive, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then obviously he's moved to PSG. Uh, are they now unstoppable with their their top three? Oh goodness. I, I think I have to await judgment to seeing them all play together because it's just going to be really interesting to see how that dynamic works. Theoretically, nobody should be able to stop that. But but world-class individuals don't make a world-class team. You never know how three players are going to interchange. And I, I think we'll see an even better Neymar because of the fact that, you know, when Neymar left Barcelona, it was because he wanted to move out the shadow of Messi. He wanted to, to win the Ballon d'Or and he wanted to go and, you know, effectively beat Messi. He's obviously grown up a lot since then because, you know, the first thing Messi, that happened when Messi came through the door is, is Neymar offered him the number 10 shirt, which is, you know, as, yeah. as I guess, humble a gesture as you can make. And Messi said no, and he's, he's taken the 30. So I think we'll see a much better Neymar, if that's even possible, with Messi. Mbappe is the interesting one there. Like, I'm not sure how Mbappe fits into that. Like, he's he's not a he's not a classic centre forward. He's he's a forward who likes to go wide and and likes to run from the flanks. And you know, I mean, obviously, three amazing players. But you know, it still remains the case that you know, forget the French league. You know, they, they obviously didn't win the league last season. Lille won the league last season. I'd expect them to romp the French league now, but they should be yeah. romping the French league regardless the thing is that when you get to the Champions League it's knockout football so even even with those players One you know it's still very possible that they won't that they won't really thrive against the very very biggest of opposition and also like it's kind of difficult to know how that front three is going to interchange against the very best sides in the world when you watch them play I don't know Nice so <laughs> I think there's still a question mark there and but the other thing is like there's an amazing amount of pressure there now because you know, how crazy is it that we have a team in Paris Saint-Germain who've never won the Champions League and yet anything other than winning the Champions League will now be regarded as a massive failure. So that's a lot of pressure to, to operate under for Pochettino. That's a really good point, actually. And especially with, you know, we've seen at the Olympics, the whole idea of sport and mental health and the pressure. It's really become yeah. quite a pertinent issue. Uh, 
finally then i want to i've got some quick fire predictions for you um i'm terrible at predictions (laughs) but i'll give him i'll give him my absolute best shot okay so who's going to win the league chelsea chelsea (laughs) you say say this alan shearer this morning was was um, saying chelsea chelsea are the team to watch um, I think so. Well, look, I mean, they've just beat Man City. I mean, I know this is quick fire, so I'll do it quick fire. <laughs> they, they beat Manchester in a Champions League final. They've got Romelu Lukaku, who I think is an even better signing than people are appreciating. And I think he was the missing link for them. So I'm going Chelsea. Chelsea. Player? Uh, player to watch? Player to watch, player to watch. Like um, a big player who's going to have a big season or maybe someone won't be like... Uh, yeah, Chelsea. a big player. A big player. Yeah. Um, I think this is going to be a massive season for Riyad Mahrez. Oh. I think for all the business that's been done, Mahrez is the one who I think we get to the end of the season and we see most goals, most assists for City. Big big prediction. And then finally, a team which is definitely going to get relegated. <laughs> Watford. I'm sorry, Watford. I'm so oh, sorry, Watford. That was, brutal, that was. was yeah, straight but, I mean, away. But the stupid thing is, like, you, you really do make yourself an idiot with these predictions. Because, I, I I mean, look, I, I wasn't asked to make a prediction the first season Sheffield United were in the Premier League. But if I had, I would have predicted them to get relegated. And, <laughs> you know, they were they were brilliant. So you never know. But I'm looking at business done. Yeah. Um, I think Norwich, are a, Norwich will be better this season in the Premier League than they were previously. They've also got a very smart recruitment department. Uh, albeit their head of recruitment is is leaving to to go and be a sporting director at Middlesbrough, um, but I think they'll be better than they were. Uh, yeah, I just think I, I don't. I've not seen anything that Watford have done and thought, oh, they're going to be loads better. And there's also the problem of like the owners, the Pozos. So you think when yeah. Watford got relegated, Nigel Pearson was in there doing a really good job, and they sacked him. And had they not done that, I'm sure they would as well. I'm not sure, but I think they would have stayed up. Because, you know, they sacked him and just completely bombed. That was a bizarre decision. And you just, I don't think you can possibly trust what those owners are going to do when it comes to comes to the manager. And, you know, I think they've been quite lucky that they've ended up bouncing back to the Premier League again, to be completely honest. Yeah. Well, I am going to hold you to those predictions and hopefully yes. you come back on and we can, we can see whether you're right. Yeah. Anytime, uh, Tom. Anytime. <laughs> So that was Steve Crossman, the sports broadcaster from Five Live and a former football commentator who, as well as having done student radio with another guy called Tom Horn, I found out after the interview, lived one street away from me when he lived in Leeds. Are you sure it wasn't you, Tom? <laughs> you know what? I questioned myself at one point. It's, it's creepy. I've never met another Tom Horn. And now... You're just like, oh, was it me? It is it's scary. It's scary business. Um, what do we think of what he has to say, though? What um, He was very conflicted about Kane and Tottenham. Obviously, the Premier League has started now and um, it, we're back in full swing. Do we think Harry Kane is going to stay at Tottenham, though? Jude, you go first. Um, yeah, it's a, it's been a pretty up-and-down roller coaster with Spurs and Harry Kane. Um, obviously I've been talked since the Euros um, but it's a bit of a shock but I'm not surprised um, with Levy at the club I'm just not really surprised that he stayed mm. so Rishi 
Yeah, so for me, I think Kane will stay, but I don't think till the end of the transfer window he'll be back playing in the team because there's obviously some internal conflict going on. He was named in the squad for yesterday's game and didn't travel. Um, couldn't play against Man City because he'd only just returned to training. Um, the only thing I can compare this to, not... I, I will admit Kane is this this is probably a bigger version of this but when David De Gea wanted to leave Manchester United in 2014 he was maybe best if not top three goalkeepers in the world at the time um, and tried to, Real Madrid wanted him everything was ready and United were firm and then we finally gave in but everything went a bit last minute on deadline day and we missed the, and the the deadline just got missed before all the paperwork were done and look seven years later De Gea is still here so I think I think Kane will realise at the end of the window when Spurs really do stay firm that he will just have to play for a bit. And he will. And I think he'll gain some sort of respect back from the Spurs fans. But next summer, at a push, he, he surely is gone by then. I think so. I can't see him staying. But then I think, I think he will have to this summer now just because of obviously the internal issues at the club and his contracts and whatever. But... It, I just, I just don't think he's going to love it anymore. He's not going to play as well, is he? I think he, he's a man of principle, so I think he'll certainly try to. But I just mm. don't think if you haven't got that drive and you haven't got that motivation and you feel a bit hopeless, like if you look at Chelsea with new signings, Man City with new signings, Liverpool is still very strong squad. How can they compete if, like, they've not got a chance, have they? Well, you've seen the squad. Um, in the Spurs, all I can think of is Son as the main the main threat. Um, but even then, if he gets an injury, they have no squad depth, and they have to rely on the youth players, and that's it really. I can't really see Spurs competing this year. That mm. came that squad. Uh, Rishi, you were at the Man United game the other day. How do you how do you think they fared? Oh, I think they fared brilliantly. You know, um, a very lovely attacking football. But the issue for me that the the glory of beating Leeds five one will um, cover over, but a lot of United fans pointing this out is we still need a holding midfielder. We've been crying out for one for about three four years since Nemanja Matic sadly got a bit too old, um, and there were so many times Leeds got in a, in a, in behind due to the gap between the defence and the midfield just not being tight enough and McTominay and Fred getting caught up and. Personally, I cannot wait to see the duo of McFred never start another game for United again. Still get how atta- starts. I don't know, and he scored as well, which means yeah. he'll start again. <laughs> and like, even we were, I think the commentator on um, on Sky Sports um, when I was watching the highlights, going, even, he went, even Fred's getting in on the act. So he was yeah, just shocked to see scored, uh, see Fred score as uh, I was. But, but no, defense fantastic. Um, Attack fantastic midfield. We just, just need imagine holding Varane in that back four as well. Yeah, it's going to be all when he was announced before the game as a surprise, that was incredible. I've <laughs> never heard the stadium that loud before. What What was it like to be back in that stadium? Was it Was oh, there a buzz incredible. to it? Oh, completely. Like um, old times. More than, more so than old times, I think. Wow. And um, when it became every week, you know, I mean, oh, there was a there was a year under Mourinho where I think the the supporters. We did. We did drop off a bit. We weren't. We weren't as loud as we usually are. He even complained about that himself. But 
No, back back to a full Old Trafford. Against Leeds definitely helped too because we absolutely hate them. I'd like to remind you that you live in Leeds and people from Leeds listen to this podcast. I am in no way And you have to walk down the street. Leeds United, they are a tin pot club. Whoa! Right. Big words from a little man there. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> tin pot. Right. The other big thing that I talked to Steve Crossman about was uh, some guy called Jack Grealish, who... I hear played I well over the summer, <laughs> but um, is he going to make the difference for Man City? Um, well, I went to the Community Shield game against Leicester, and it was definitely a massive impact when he came on because he's obviously such a sick player. But I don't. The game against Spurs, he was a bit quiet. Obviously, I understand he's getting used to the team, um, but I don't know. I obviously we'll find out with Pep as well uh, under his wing. I, I, just, I think he'll thrive, but I think it'll take him a good season and a half. Needs to settle in. Rishi, yeah. you were shaking your head earlier when I said, when well, I said I about him. Well, I think Grealish is a fantastic player, and with English tax, he's probably just about 100 million is just about fair enough. When you look at Ben White's <laughs> fifth, when you look at Ben White being 50 million, Harry Maguire being 80 back in the day. Um, but I just don't think he'll be a regular starter in that City squad. I think it is just too stacked. So why they're playing that much for a player who might not start is a bit questionable because Kevin De Bruyne is the best player in the Premier League. Is he not an investment though? He might be, but he's he's 25, 26, I think. One of the, so he's approaching probably the, the heyday of his career. But with Raheem Sterling having such a good Euros on the left-hand side, Phil Foden... Um, I think a striker for Man City should have been more, a prior, more of a priority 100%. because Gabriel Jesus is not going to win them a Champions League, I don't think. Um, I, hope I, won't be eating, I hope I won't be eating those words in uh, about nine months' time. <laughs> but, but City have too, too much in those positions and really where they could achieve total dominance, I think, is by getting a world-class striker like Kane. So Grealish will be great. He might make a few differences in a few matches, but... You're going to have quality players like Foden, De Bruyne, um, Bernardo Silva, Mares. the list goes on, all competing for that same position. So I don't think maybe we'll, we'll see him as much as... It's a nice problem to have, though. Mm. Yeah, but then when you're switching people around a lot, like Grealish can play on the left, he can play as a 10, Guardiola might use... Yeah, exactly. You have a dilemma and then chopping and changing might not always be the best for... For some sort, for some players, especially when he's you know adjusting to a new club, but I I do think in the long term he will succeed. Um, there'll be a lot of pressure at the start, and it might take some time, but yeah. Yeah, the other big signing of the season was for Chelsea with Lukaku, and what it really interested me. I've spoken to a few people about this on the podcast on Monday. I had a bonus edition with Guy Mowbray, which was a nice half hour long chat, which I really recommend everyone listens to where we talk about the Euros, we talk about tournaments, we talk about this season coming up and COVID. And, you know, it's really nice long chat and he's such a lovely guy. But what really, one thing he really said that interested me and Steve Crossman said it as well, was that Chelsea are real title competitors this season. 100%. Do we think? 100%. Um, I would have put them probably top two in my predictions. Um, it's just, once again, the, the squad depth at Chelsea is unbelievable. And um, they are a fairly, fairly young squad, um, which helps. But yeah, obviously they won the Champions League. That's on. That's going to run into this season with confidence. 
Um, won the Super Cup as well. So and also Tuchel's uh, an amazing manager. So yeah, I think they, they could definitely push that title this year. Is he better than Pep? Um, I think they're very different managers. But that's a cop out of an answer. It is but they are. Oh, oh dear. One's, one's more man management and one's just an absolute genius. I just don't. <laughs> they're both unreal. That's still a cop out, but I'll let you off. Um, right, we've talked about Man United, we've talked about Tottenham, Man City, Chelsea. Jude, uh, how's your club doing in the Premier League? Uh, well, I think you know the answer to that question. Jude, who do you support? Uh, the Mighty Rams, Derby County. Mighty, are they? Yeah. Not in the 100%. Premier League, though? Yeah, don't matter. Sunderland <laughs> are a big club, they're in League One. Are they, though? Mean, are they any, a big club, anymore? League, eh? Are they anymore? Well, yeah, we are. Mm. Forest, they're a, they're a big Sounding club. a bit cagey about that. Well, yeah, obviously, it's not nice to be stuck in the situation that we're in. Um, yeah. Especially with the knobhead as Rooney, you know, going out and getting absolutely off his face and going to hotels with random young ladies, but, you know, we don't talk Imagine about Imagine getting absolutely off your face and then not doing your job properly, Rishi Shah. I was a sober man last night. I've just recovered from a lengthy trip to Nottingham, you know, passing through the wonderful derby. Shout out. Um, <laughs> but but the thing I have to ask you... You were still 45 is, minutes late. But... Dude, at the, week, at, the, at the weekend, you yeah. know, little little game against, was it Peterborough? Yeah, You were 1-0 up in the 90th minutes. minute. What happened? <laughs> well, so we had an injury... Uh, it was down for like six minutes. The referee decides to add 11 minutes at a time. And then our defence just forgets how to kick a ball and the score in the 100th minute to win the game. Um, and it's an absolute shambles. It was an, but we, uh, we won against Hull uh, on You won against another so, irrelevant club, fair so, enough. Yeah. I also have connections with Hull as well. So I support two pretty good clubs at the moment. Derby and Hull are pretty good clubs, are they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep telling yourself that, Sunshine. No, um, I don't know. I've, we'll see what happens. Obviously, Rooney's getting these players in that he wants, so we'll just see what happens. Mm. And maybe one day, if Derby County are ever back in the Premier League, you can come back on. Deal? If we are going to go up, out of any of the years, this is the year to do it. With no money, everyone writing us off, this is the year we're going to go up, <laughs> if we are going to do it. It's going to be hilarious. Right. Let's get some predictions in then. Um, from both of you who's going to win the league we want to say United uh, don't you? yeah I so want to say United but Chelsea <laughs> uh, Chelsea Chelsea the, Chelsea win the league I'm going to say Chelsea um, Jude can't make a decision again I was going to say Chelsea but I don't want to copy all of yes, you you, so you can, you can I'm copy I'm going to go you know what I'm going to go for United just because why not yeah so why we not? can laugh at you when, it get, when you get it wrong yeah. again yeah. yeah okay. Uh, <laughs> um, and any? Do you think we're going to see any surprises? Is my final question. I think. Yes, I think we'll see a few surprises. I think Arsenal and Spurs will fall off the pace quite a lot. I really think like they've all they've been hanging around that fifth, sixth, seventh kind of area. I think they might plummet this year. I think Arsenal um, will. And you'll Arsenal see teams in a lot like. You'll see teams like Aston Villa with the investment they made. Okay, it will take some time. They've just lost to Watford in the mm. first game. But I think Villa will be a big shout. Everton under Benitez, you can't write, you can't write him off. 
I um, think Brentford will be a surprise pack yeah this year. they've done well it's just a massive team spirit that club at the moment um, new stadium in the Premier League for the first time in 75 years it's a, it's a really positive it's a really competitive season this isn't it mm. you couldn't yeah. call it I think Chelsea are probably the standouts but you'd never rule out Man City or Liverpool even and yeah, even team. lower down, it's really it's a fight, isn't it? Yeah, people are saying as well this transfer window is arguably one of the craziest of all time. Um, just seeing how many moves, like you don't even have to talk about Messi leaving Barcelona, like yeah. um, Lukaku going back to Chelsea after going to about five clubs in between, Sancho to United finally, Varane has been in the works for ten years. Um, uh, <laughs> Literally, so many, so many crazy things have happened. Jack Grealish, most expensive English player ever. Um, so I think yeah. we're, we're set up for a fantastic season. It and, is uh, a mad one. I have to plug. Do do tune into LSR Sports on a Monday to Friday to uh, ah, <laughs> the breakdown. I was waiting previews. for the plug. <laughs> um, right, uh, boys, thank you very much for coming on. Do you have your own football podcast? So do you want to plug that a second? Yeah, it's the uh, the Route One Football podcast. You can listen on Spotify. Um, me and my two mates chat about football, so have a listen. Woo! Well, there we are. Now you've got your plugs out of the way, boys. Thank you for coming on. Uh, I will time. be back on on Tuesday actually with a very special guest who I who's an old friend of mine. I will say. Um, so plus, obviously, the latest on Afghanistan and whatever else is in the news. So stay tuned for that. Uh, you can email me at, at pod at gmail.com or DM at, at pod if you've got anything to say, if you want me to cover anything, or you know, even if you just want to tell me that Derby County are a shit football club, that is more than welcome. Get the emails in. <laughs> uh, right. But yes, thank you. And I'll be back on Tuesday. See you then.